Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yugara people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities. Hi everyone, happy Thursday and welcome to a brand new episode of Trainer Talks and Tales. We hope you're all having a great week so far. Now, this is an exciting episode as we were lucky enough to collaborate with the amazing Rossafari podcast. Yeah, that's exactly right, Tess. We are super excited. Now, we teamed up with John from Rossafari to bring you four really exciting episodes across both of our podcasts. Tess and I sat down with John and we chatted all about our specialities. And John also really kindly shared his time to chat with us too. Yeah, he was very fun to talk to. Hey, he was very excitable. <laughs> um, the energy was high. So it was a, a great guest to have, that's for sure. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about your week, Daisy? What's been happening in the world of Daisy? Yeah, of course. Now, my week has been great. We are recording this today on a Monday. And on Friday, I actually headed down to SeaWorld, which is on the Gold Coast for the day. It's definitely one of my favorite facilities as they have such a huge variety of different marine life. So you get a little bit of a taster of everything. And I got to spend some time with the dolphins. I watched some of the Gen 2 penguin training and hung out with a bunch of really, really cool seals. Massive shout out to Erin, Sam, Rochelle, and Olivia for making it a really amazing day. I don't know about you, Tess, but visiting facilities is one of my favorite things to do. I feel like you just get the opportunity to learn so much more. And I love the friendships that you get to develop with like-minded people. So that is my recommendation for the week. Go to SeaWorld or go to a facility and meet someone new. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the people in this industry are so like-minded and you just connect instantly. We kind of did with John too. He was just so nice. You're just like, wow, you're you're so cool. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But Tess, how was your week? Tell me about it. Yeah, good. Um, We've got an exciting update from Lone Pine, actually. Our brand new nocturnal exhibit has just opened. It's been very hush-hush and it's so hard because it's been years in the making, but uh, it's finally open to the public and it's so awesome. It's so, so cool. Um, So we've got like devils running around, wombats digging their burrows, uh, tree kangaroo, potteroos, bandicoots, betongs, all those little like boingy boingy things. Um, Yeah, (laughs) so good. Really scientific there, the boingy boingy ones. (laughs) I honestly, they often all look the same to me. I'm like, what's that one? That's a pottery. That one's so cute. Like they're, they're so cute. But um, yeah, and uh, we did like a staff night uh, maybe a week and a half ago. And it was really cool. Like you walk around with these um, night vision cameras and you see these critters just doing their thing. And it's just a fun concept. And uh, I absolutely love it. And what's even better is that the flying foxes, the wild flying foxes are just heading out for the night and there's just hundreds of them flying over your head and that's that's not part of the tour but <laughs> it's so cool that was probably my favorite part about it <laughs> my recommendation is to go check it out because you can either go during the day like obviously um it's free with admission to Lone Pine or you can book and pay to do it at night time so my recommendation is to go check it out it's, it's wow cool. it's very cool that's cool I actually really want to come at night I feel like that would be a great thing to experience at night time yeah, definitely. Alrighty. So Tess, like we mentioned this week, we have the amazing John joining us. And like you said, it's been so fun building a brand new friendship and a friendship that is all the way across the globe as John lives in the US. Yeah. And it was such a great chat as we dive into the world of zoos. He's not even part of the zoo industry, but he's just so involved. Um, the things that are doing well and what we can improve on. It was a great chat. So let's get into it. John, Tess and I are so excited to chat to you today. We were just chatting before we started recording all about tree kangaroos and it's obvious how passionate you are about animals, so I cannot wait to get into that. But before we do get started with anything more serious, we'd love to start our Training Talks and Tail podcast with a fast five. So are you happy if we go straight into that? 
Let's do it. But I just want to say real quick that I'm really excited to be here on Trainer Talk and Tales and Divins and Drives or whatever you guys call this one. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm a big fan. It's it's fun to be doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Question number one. Mammals or birds? Mammals. Cheese or chocolate? Cheese. Drums or guitar? I mean, I'm a professional drummer, so drums. <laughs> Taylor Swift or Beyonce? Taylor Swift. Thank God you said that. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> I just made my own Eras Tour poster oh, for true. me with animals. You know, oh, no, I'm, I'm a Swifty. I'm a Swifty. Big fan. Okay. And then finally, favorite animal? Red panda. Nice. Well done. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree and say Beyonce, but anyway, <gasps> we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> uh oh. And this is the beginning of the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to start this episode on a like awkward note. But anyway. <laughs> Well, uh, like Daisy said, it's so great to have you on the podcast. We're really excited to chat to you. Um, we both absolutely love your podcast. So it's nice to uh, have uh, the tables turned and talk to you on ours. So you have a very successful podcast called Rossafari. Can you give us a little bit of insight into why and when that podcast was established? Sure. So um, I'm at the kind of start of my fourth year. And um, I the why is kind of interesting. So like I mentioned, I'm a professional drummer. I'm not from the animal world uh, originally. Um, I have I have fully embraced it since. But uh, and as I tour around the country and, and play my music and do my thing, I um, I go to as many accredited zoos and facilities and stuff. Now, if you can't tell from the accent, when I say the country, I mean the United States. <laughs> uh, I do play in, in Canada and Mexico occasionally. Haven't done much outside of, of North America. But um, yeah, I started going to all these different zoos and, and aquariums, conservation organizations, rescues, rehabs, all that stuff, uh, just because I've always loved animals. And when you're on tour, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of um, big egos and stuff like that and it was good for me to be able to step away and and refresh and kind of connect with something else which you know animals are amazing and so um i i when i would go to these facilities i would often talk to keepers knowing nothing about what i was like getting into other than like i'd, I'd see a cute you know matchy street kangaroo and i'd be like what is the name of this animal that's incredible oh and you, you guys you you have two of them here well okay cool and what are their names and keepers love to talk about their animals and so i i really fell in love with that i i i fell in love with um the entire idea of zookeeping as a profession and the passion that people have for uh, the animals that they take care of and and i also have a lot of downtime on the road so i listen to a lot of podcasts and i was like there has to be a podcast where somebody's just talking to people at zoos you know every week i need to find this and there wasn't and then covid hit and i lost all of my work everything there was literally one week in march of 2020 where not only did i lose an entire week of work but i happened to be at home uh my partner was not there she had our animals with her there was literally nothing in my life when like the week before i was thriving i was on the road i had a life i had all this stuff and i knew i was going to lose my mind if i didn't do something so I came up with the idea of starting the podcast that I thought should exist. And uh, I did. And I haven't looked back. Wow, that's amazing. And congratulations on nearly four years. That's so Thank impressive. You. And to keep coming out with like such fun content and really great conversations. Did you I have find not taken a break yet, by the way. Like, <laughs> I don't do seasons. It has been straight through. Over 370 episodes at this point. <laughs> wow. Okay. What? We would love to be able to get to that one day. So it's definitely an inspiration to both Tess and I. Now, I'd love oh to know, gosh. did you find, I guess, any pushback at all when creating a podcast about animals and zoos and obviously aquariums when you came from, I guess, a non-animal background? So um, not much. Uh, early on, I, there were some facilities that that seemed to kind of say, who are you? Um, but but what happened that really worked out well for me is I had started Safari as an Instagram account a couple of years before because I would take pictures at the zoos that I would go to. And I thought, you know, a daily animal fact and some cool conservation news was a good good way to like contribute to the world. And it, it did not take off much, but some of the, the zoos that I tagged, their keepers would find me and then they would start to follow me. And one of those keepers was Jake Belair, who was my first guest um, and who I just recently had on again. That was a lot of fun. And uh, he's at the Nashville Zoo. 
And uh, when I started this, he was one of the people that I, I reached out to and I was like, hey, would you be interested in doing this? And he knew me. We had talked a little bit and stuff from just digitally, uh, but he kind of vouched for me um, at Nashville. And so they were willing to have me on. And then another keeper, uh, Danica Wolf, I had also connected with a little bit um, same way. And she was at Zoo Atlanta and same thing kind of vouched for me. And so two of my first four episodes were keepers who stuck their neck out a little bit and facilities who trusted their keepers. And then once I had those two, then I was able to say to everyone else, so I've had the Nashville Zoo on, I've had Zoo Atlanta on, uh, what about you guys? And people were a lot more open at that point. I genuinely think if I had not met Jake digitally in particular, I might have made it six weeks, maybe. Yeah, wow. And I and I guess going back to what you said initially at the start, like keepers love to talk about animals. People do this role because we're so passionate about what we do. So any opportunity to chat, you know, and on a podcast where you can get that out to a wider audience, you know, for me, it's a no-brainer, absolutely. Yeah, and credit to you as well. Like the fact that you weren't a keeper and you've just um, started this passion and started this enthusiasm about uh, the world that we live in and the keeping and the work that we do. I think that's really great. I well, admire well, that even you. more so that you're not a um, in the industry yourself. Thank you. But I also need to point out that the admirable thing is y'all because like in all seriousness, I was so inspired by everything that I was hearing and everyone that I was meeting that I, I it was a no brainer to me like this needs to exist. I don't think, you know, it's not like I'm like, ooh, I'm the guy who should do this. I just thought it should exist. And when I saw the void, I decided to fill it. But like if there's one thing that I wish I could do, not even differently, but just kind of have back, I wish that all of those keepers that I spoke to in those years when I was leading up to this could know that they collectively were the inspiration for Asafari. Because, you know, probably a lot of them don't even know the podcast exists. And if they do, they don't know that, you know, the the silly guy that they talked to about their their red pandas and uh, the weird drummer they met once and and he was way too excited um you know they inspired this which is amazing that's so cool and i feel like it's such a reminder for us that like any interaction that we have with the public or with a guest could lead to so much and like you're absolutely the the reason why so that's so so good to hear and i'm sure they're very they'd be very happy to hear that yeah absolutely now you've created so many amazing animal episodes on your podcast do you have any standout conversations or animal topics that you have just absolutely loved? Okay, so I need to be cheesy for a second and say that I genuinely love almost every conversation I've had. And I, I will be real and I will say almost every once in a while, you know, um, y'all are still kind of newer to podcasting, but every once in a while you have an episode that's pulling teeth, but it's very <laughs> rare. And um, outside of that, like I, I always say like, and I mean this in a very platonic way, but I fall in love with every person I interview. Like literally, I will walk away from an interview feeling, especially if it happens to be an in-person interview and we're like back and I see them with their animals and stuff. Right. I, I will walk away feeling like they're going to be my best friend. And <laughs> sometimes that ends up being true. A lot of my best friends now are actually people that I've met through the podcast, which is amazing. Um, But yeah, it, it's, it's hilarious to me how in the moment I'm always like, this person is the coolest person I know. And, you know. Uh, 200 uh, interviews later, I'm so like, this person is the coolest person I know. And now you two are the coolest people I know. There's <laughs> just there's something about it. Um, but the topic that has really popped off to me in a lot of these conversations is training, uh, which I know y'all might be a little passionate about. Um, but like I listen to your podcast. I listen um, to the ABMA podcast. I listen to um, NEI's podcast now. Like I am really into training and I've had opportunities in my life to apply it to animals and to, to talk to people about their dogs or their pets or whatever. Um, and actually even a few of those friends that I mentioned that I've made that have, um, that are in the industry, uh, as we're talking, as we're, we're shooting the poop and having conversations, they're like, oh man, I'm having a training problem. And I, I never want to overstep, but the ones that like, know that I'm their friend and know what I'm into. There have been a couple of times now where people have like run training plans by me or like asked me like, what do you, what do you think of this? I'm missing something. And I've actually been able to help 
because I've learned that much about it. And and it's all basic stuff. I give credit to the amazing trainers that I've spoken to. It's again, it's not me. But, you know, sometimes just a, an extra set of eyes helps. And to know that, like, you know, there's a sea turtle in the world that's getting um, more effective training because I contributed slightly like, oh, my heart, that's amazing. You know, that's so cool. And that must be so rewarding and so reinforcing for yourself as well to know that. I think probably my favorite episode, I love the episode you did with obviously Dr. Claire Madden. She's close to home. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. She spoke so beautifully and, you know, she is so knowledgeable, but I really loved your more recent one with Steve Martin. I think that was so fascinating. I think I sent you a message straight away and I was like, this is brilliant. I sent it to our work group chat. Everyone needs to listen to this. So he is a wealth of knowledge. So very cool to hear him on yours. Thank you. Yeah. One of the weirdest experiences I've ever had. So I'm still like, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the things that happen, but, um, I was up at Roger Williams park zoo, which is in Providence, Rhode Island. And, uh, they had a bird show that was through NEI. So Steve Martin's company, um, you know, they do this bird show up there and it's incredible. And my friend, Danny, who's a, a keeper and a bird trainer and, um, you know, has been on the pod multiple times and has become a good friend. We went together. And she was looking forward to connecting with the NEI folks and, and had some connections. And um, we walked up to uh, Amy Fennell, the person running the show up there. And and she saw Danny and she said hi to Danny. And then she turned to me and Danny was going to introduce me. She's like, this is my friend, John. And Amy points and gets all excited and goes, you're the you're the red panda drummer guy. Steve Martin told everyone in our company we need to listen to you. I did like research into you. I know. And I was like. Did you cry? Man. I would be. Crying. Oh my gosh! I was just—I was blown away. And this was this was after the interview and stuff. And but like, and now Amy and I are friends, and we text, and like, she's—I've I've got an episode dropping with her soon. Like, it was just insane. But to to hear that Steve Martin is like telling people about my podcast was the weirdest, coolest. Like, she knew me. That was weird, but cool. <laughs> That's so cool. And like such a cool way to bring like the community together from like all over the world. It's such a great like topic. And, you know, the industry is full of such cool people and such passionate people. So, so good. Now, obviously, as a part of your podcast and your huge passion for animals, you spoke about that you visit so many different facilities. From your experience, I would love to know what you think makes a great zoo. That is a really good question. And I think maybe my take on it is a little different than um, than a lot of people's, um, because I think that so much of the focus on uh, on what's going on at zoos, and I think this is a good thing for a lot of reasons, um, is about the guest experience and what people see and, and making things very naturalistic, which can be great for certain species, but is often done for the guests. And I think that makes sense. For a lot of reasons. Um, but to me, uh, you know, a focus on animal welfare, which obviously includes training, which we were talking about, um, is really one of the two things. I kind of have two things that, that always stand out to me. And and animal welfare um for the animal is is what really, really uh pops off for me. When I can tell that an animal is happy, when I can can see that the animals there are not just well taken care of, but um have the ability to take care of themselves when their keepers aren't around and stuff. Uh, I'm really into that. And and sometimes it what I like to see goes against the grain a little bit, not in a like bad way, but like there's a movement right now towards very natural enrichment in you know on exhibit all the time and i know for instance some red pandas um that that i've gotten to get to know very well through my weird career here and um you know i know of, of, of a couple of them that really like their toys they really like balls or stuffed animals or whatever and if i see an animal that i know likes that that isn't allowed to have that on exhibit because it doesn't look natural to me, I feel like that's a bit of a mistake. I get why they're doing it. I do. I do. But I like to see if if the number one concern, when whenever you ask anything, if it always goes back to animal welfare, that is a great facility to me. And then if it goes back to animal welfare and what the public thinks or animal welfare and what our budget allows, which again, 
I understand. Um, to me, that's, you know, it can still be an amazing facility, but it's a notch off the score, so to speak, because it's it's just I think it's really important that the animals always need to come first. Um, and then, you know, training goes into that as well, because a lot of times, especially staffing issues lead to animals not getting training every day and not getting those interactions with their keepers. And I get it. It's a business. It's tough. But the, the, the facilities that stand out to me are the ones that can provide that every day. Um, and then the other side of it, which this almost sounds like a contradiction of what I just said, but it's not, there's ways to do it is, uh, education and conservation. You know, obviously, um, that's so important. Both of those are, are elements that are so important for, uh, the reason that zoos exist in the public. And, um, I absolutely think that there are all these studies that show that people don't spend a lot of time reading signage and stuff. Um, but I also spend enough time at zoos to know that eh, it's true of the vast majority, but then there are the people who do. And then there are the really crazy people who learn so much that they fall in love and start up podcast. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you never, it's like you said earlier days, you don't know what impact you're going to have. And I think education, be it signage, be it interactive stuff, be it keeper talks, all that stuff, the more of that that exists, the better a facility is. Yeah, I feel like you summed yeah. that up really nicely. And especially going back to the enrichment thing, I, I agree. I think natural naturalistic enrichment looks beautiful. It's very aesthetically pleasing to the public. And I think it, you know, putting in things that might not necessarily be natural, all it takes is maybe popping a keeper um, with that animal and explaining, you know, what that particular enrichment is benefiting to that animal. And you can explain the reason this animal has a non-realist, non-naturalistic uh, enrichment is because this is super reinforcing. It allows them to, you know, do these natural behaviors and that might just assist a little bit with doing that. Yeah, I agree. Even um, not yesterday before I had this bright blue and yellow ball in with the wedge-tailed eagle and he just was having a time with it. Like he's on display, just like jumping on this thing, ripping it apart. And I was considering it. I was like, gosh, it doesn't, it like sticks out like a sore thumb, this blue and yellow <laughs> ball in this exhibit. And it's all, rainforesty and beautiful and I was like oh should I take that out and I was like no he's having the best time I think anyone walking past this would be like that the eagle's having a good time and yeah no they don't find blue and yellow balls out there in the wild <laughs> but it's really enriching and it must be really fun to use those big talents to grasp it so I'm glad that you mentioned that I think that that overrides the um the view of how it would look for fur visitors Definitely. I also think it's worth mentioning real quick that like what you just said is is true. Most of the time they might not find a, a blue and yellow ball out in the wild, but also they might. You know, I do all these stories on my Zoo News things about uh, or my Zoo News episodes about how animals find these things in the wild that are human things and they interact with them. And sometimes it's bad. We don't want to have um, shiny keys and coins in a condor exhibit to illustrate that condors eat those because then they will die. But like the truth is that, you know, the wild isn't really wild. Humans are basically everywhere and animals do learn how to adapt and how to interact. We all know that bears and raccoons go into trash cans and stuff like humans are part of the natural world now. So yeah, these animals do find these things, you know, I don't know. That's just kind of my take on it, but. No, that's true. It's a very fair point. And you kind of touched on it before, but uh, when you're visiting these facilities, what do you find the most valuable? Is it these interactive experiences? Is it chatting to the keepers? Is it observing enrichment? Like what is the most valuable uh, thing for you when you're visiting these facilities? I would say that the most valuable thing to me is the ability to connect with animals at a deeper level. And, and this is something that can be achieved in a lot of ways. Um, I will admit with the podcast, uh, <laughs> I get to, I get to cheat a little bit. I often get to meet, hold, feed, you know, all the different animals. Um, and each time it's, it's amazing, of course. Um, but that's not something everyone gets to do, but I, I really don't think you have to, because I was already finding deep connections with animals before I started the podcast. Um, and so like one thing I recommend is anyone who can afford a behind the scenes experience should do it. And I know they can get very expensive. Uh, there are some zoos where they're not. There are some zoos or some, you know, 20, 30 bucks a person. I mean, that 
can still be a lot for some people, but um, any opportunity that you can take to do that, I think is, is really cool. I also think that a lot of facilities have shows and they're usually free. You know, sometimes we don't like the word shows. Um, so we could call them an open training session or, or whatever each facility needs to do. Um, but uh, keeper talks, uh, even if you're uncomfortable being the guy who, again, just runs up to a keeper who's working quietly and saying, hi, can I ask you about your bear? Um, you go to those keeper talks and interact with the people um, because keepers are incredible. And I think that it's easier to build a connection to an animal through another human. Because, you know, you don't have the language barrier issue that you have directly with the animals. Um, but also, I, I think, you know, one of the big things is just spending time with the animals. And and that means through the glass or, or whatever, they're on exhibit, you're not. Um, there are studies out there that say that the average zoo visitor spends actually i'm going to quiz you guys anyone want to guess what the average time that a visitor spends at each exhibit is i'm gonna say minimal because our attention spans are so tiny these days <laughs> yeah that's a tough one i reckon like maybe five minutes i don't know seven seconds what <laughs> now part of that is because you know if you're a red panda fan you'll spend 10 minutes and then if you go to Madagascar hissing cockroaches and you're afraid of them you run away instantly <laughs> so now your 10 minutes is already down to five minutes you know that kind of thing but seven seconds and I I literally I have this experience all all the time at some of the zoos that I go to regularly where I will be standing in an exhibit and a person will come up and see you know, again, going back to red pandas, there's this red panda that I love at Elmwood Park Zoo. His name is Slash. OK, he's the best boy. He helped me propose uh, to my now wife. So um, he's very good. Wow. And he's a red panda. He sleeps, but he also explores and is fun. And he has the cutest walk. He has this little um, I think because of a, a an issue that he has, but it's like a strut. So if you think red pandas are cute, you should see one strut is all I'm saying. But um, people will walk up and he'll be laying there asleep. And they'll be like, oh, he's always asleep and walk away. And within 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute of that, his eye will open. Maybe he will just get up and yawn and curl up into a little ball. But that's adorable. Or maybe he'll go and wander and do the thing and be a red panda. You know, um, it's it's so cute. It's so he does so much. Yeah, there are times I've been to the zoo where he sleeps all day. He's a red panda. He's allowed. But these people get frustrated, but they never even gave him a chance. You know, so I think spending time and like learning to appreciate that a sleeping red panda is still really cute and whatever. Um, that's how you build those connections. You know, you have to spend time with someone and work on something to to build a relationship, even if it's a very one sided one. And I mean, a sleeping red panda is realistic to what a panda would do out in the wild. I can imagine <laughs> it's yeah. you know, very natural behavior there. And I think just quickly going back to what you said about spending time and asking questions with keepers. I don't know about you, Tess, but from being on the other side of that, I know if I walk away from a good conversation with a guest, I feel on you know top of the world. I feel like so much more passionate about what I do. I've had a great conversation with the guests. I really feel like I've inspired them. I've inflicted knowledge on them. And that is, you know, at the end of the day, what we're there to do. Yeah, absolutely. That is my favorite part of the day. Um, the free flight shows are incredible and I love the training aspect, but standing there after and talking to these people and igniting that passion with them and, and sharing your knowledge, like that's what we're here for. And that that's the best part of the day for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, John, I'd love to know what is something you hope to see develop or I guess continue to develop within zoos and aquariums in the next few years? Can I can I say two again? I'm yes, very into 100%. two answers today, apparently. <laughs> um, okay. So first of all, and this is something that is is really going well right now, but it needs to get even better, is more transparency. Um, by a lot, frankly. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I don't know how big of a global impact it had, but I know that in the States when Blackfish hit, it became like this big thing and, um, yep. zoos became very afraid of, of stuff. But my take on it is, you know, the film Blackfish used a lot of footage, not from SeaWorld, not from accredited facilities, not from good facilities, and used voiceover to heavily imply that what you were seeing was SeaWorld. 
And, uh, you know, the idea of, oh, we need to close off when something like that happens. My argument is that, you know, and I'm not I'm not casting aspersions on SeaWorld. This is where the industry was, but um, they do amazing work there. But if if they had already if we had all seen what the behind the scenes area at SeaWorld actually looked like, then anyone watching that film could have been like, that's not real. That's you know, it could have been the the Leo DiCaprio uh, gif of pointing and and you know because just just no that's a lie i know that's a lie um so i do think transparency really helps if if facilities are doing good work and they are then um you know even if they have to explain something that's a little weird maybe visually to the public that's okay because we have the science to back it we have the knowledge to back it um one of the zoos uh that is the most successful with sloth breeding in the u.s uh, i got to go back and see their setup and you know the the exhibit is naturalistic and beautiful and wonderful and they have no mating behavior on exhibit none never happens back in their back room Every sloth has its own pet carrier that it lives in off, off the ground and a single branch going up to it and a single branch coming off of it. There's no extra trees. There's no extra prettiness. There's nothing. It is basically a concrete room. It is, it is, you know, properly, it's got the right temperature and humidity and all those other things. It's got what those sloths need. Those sloths feel so comfortable back there that they eat their food. They get it on. They have all the fun. They have amazing breeding. You know, they're actually from all indications happier in that room than they are on exhibit where it looks like what you would expect a sloth to like. So let's explain that to the public. Let's let everyone know that because that's cool. If we've, we've, you know, figured out something about sloths, that's, that's really cool. Um, I also know of um, a zoo and I'm, I'm not going to say which one it's a very good zoo, but they are very bottled down. They, they have one person in the press that they work with. They are not interested in working with anyone else. And that, that person has very, um, let's say limited access to anything. And I've reached out to them. I've tried to have them on the podcast. I have multiple fans that are keepers there. I have multiple connections and they're not interested and that's fine. I don't care, but it's not just me. It's, it's anyone that has tried to has had uh, major issues there. And I've had multiple former keepers reach out to me and tell me that, um, you know, oh, you'll never get in there. They, 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 they do great work, but you'll never see it. They don't want people to see it. And it's having an effect. And I don't even know if they fully realize that um, in part because they don't want to talk to me so we can discuss it. But um, they um, they're in an area with multiple facilities in a relatively short distance. Um, you know, you, you Aussies don't know this so well, but you can you can very easily have. Um, I mean, from my uh, my home in Philadelphia, I think I have six AZA accredited facilities that I can reach in like an hour's drive. And if you get, go to two hours, it's like nine or ten. It's it's amazing. It's so um, different over here. I know. So I know. Sorry. Literally, it's You're so lucky. crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. I am very aware. Um, and and so I know a lot of people that plan trips to the area that go to visit the other zoos, go to visit the aquarium there and everything and say, ah, I'm not going to this one. I just don't feel good about it. They're the only one that hasn't been on your podcast. I went and looked for other things. They don't work with any of the other people out there doing stuff. None of their stuff is behind the scenes. Um, they often don't like announce animal deaths, stuff like that, like even for their charismatic megafauna. And and it just gives me a weird vibe. And again, I will tell these people, no, go go to this facility. It's It's a great place. You'll have a great time. I promise you, you won't see anything you don't like. But they feel like that lack of transparency stands out to them. And I, I get that. And I, 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 I agree. Um, it, is, it is a bummer. And I just think it's so important for zoos to be honest uh, about what, what you're doing. Because it's amazing. Like, why wouldn't you praise the cool stuff that's going on? You know what I mean? So yeah. that's, that's one of them. I feel like transparency, like I'm such an advocate for that too. So I'm so grateful that and so glad that you brought it up because I think it's hopefully the way forward with a lot of facilities, you know, and really just showing that we've got nothing to hide. Everything we're doing is pretty impressive and we should talk about it way more. So definitely agree with that one. The other thing that I really wish that zoos would understand better, and again, I think we're getting there, but it's a little more pulling teeth, um, is that uh, zoos and aquariums are no longer local entities 
And uh, what I mean by that is um, everything's global now. You got that whole internet thing. I'm talking to you guys in Australia right now. It's very exciting. But um, and people care. Like people will connect with animals at one facility, and then those animals will move to another one, and people will follow and will look online and will try to see what's happening. Um, more and more people travel to go specifically to zoos and to visit animals and stuff. Um, I think it's all very cool. Uh, but I also think it's it's really important to understand uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, one of the things that shocks me uh, since starting my podcast is that I build a lot of connections between people that I meet. So, you know, um, we're sitting here and, and talking about the fact that uh, – Tess was just feeding a tree kangaroo because your facility now has a tree kangaroo, which is incredible. And it's a Lumholtz tree kangaroo. And that's so cool. Um, but maybe you have some questions at some point. And I happen to be really good friends with Ren Howell, who's at uh, Wildlife World Sydney, where they have Kofi. Now, Kofi is a Goodfellows tree kangaroo, but tree kangaroo. So if you had questions, I could help connect you to and you guys could become friends and work on things but i'm amazed that that doesn't happen more like i would say i have facilitated dozens if not hundreds of of meetings like that in the last couple of years and that's so i'm, I'm so happy to do it it's another one of those moments where i'm like my heart is so full right now um but i'm not gonna lie i feel like y'all should know each other better and have more access to each other and um you know, understand that. But then from the public's perspective, um, there are just, there are people who really care about these facilities and about these animals. And, um, you know, a lot of my listening public, I mean, you never really know, you guys know how weird podcast stats are, but I, just from talking to people, I know that a lot of my fans are not like keepers. A lot of them are, you know, zoo nerds and there are a whole internet message boards dedicated to this stuff and, and all kinds of craziness. Um, you know, I know of two different facilities over the last few years, uh, that got red pandas through, through breeding Rex, you know, SSP Rex in the AZA as as we call it. And, um, in both cases, <clears throat> these were really well-known pandas. Like there is a community of red panda fans and people call us pandas. And um, it actually gets way too goofy for me. There are all these internet groups and stuff. I avoid most of them. Um, but people are like really obsessive. You could, you could show me a picture of many red pandas in zoos and I could tell you their name and where they're at. Like there's just, just there's a lot of that out there. And um, you're definitely these... a fanda, that's for sure. No, I'm a, I am. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the, but the funny thing is, like they, you know, the, the zoos don't seem to understand that all the time. And so in these two examples that I'm talking about, um, they took really famous pandas uh, that that had a huge following and decided to rename them and auction off the naming rights to make money. Now, look. I respect the fact that we need money. One of the zoos is literally trying to build a new red panda habitat. And so, okay, I get it. I do. But they're really burning a lot of bridges with people and really offending people. Um, and in one particular instance, uh, the, the breeding wreck, they only moved maybe five, six hours drive away. And I actually know a couple of people that were planning multiple bus trips to the zoo, to the new facility, once the animal got out of quarantine, to go and see their 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 favorite red, red panda, and and take literally busloads of people with them. This was a planned activity, and then that facility announced that they got the new panda and it was out of quarantine and said a name that wasn't her name, and all of these people were like, "What is going on? Why did you change the name? Whatever," and they just ignored it. They ignored all of those questions, and guess who never took their bus trips. And that just that builds like bad community and also costs, you know, busloads of of people coming and becoming fans and following and spreading the word and, and all of that good press. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing it happen actually right now with another facility, um, a, a panda that literally the first time I saw at, at uh, his old facility, um, I felt like I was seeing a celebrity. Because, I mean, just in the Fanda world, like, this dude is known. And he's at a new facility now. And and 
people are so upset that they changed his name. They're so upset. And it's it's like a, you know, very small but very real PR issue. And I hate to see it. And you just can't get away with that stuff anymore. And the people that are upset about it aren't just upset because it's like, oh, how could you, you know, change the name of this panda that I love? Although it's honestly mostly that. But also, like, we know that this is a panda that was trained to respond to his name. He knows his name. So then you get into questions of like, wow, is the money more important than the welfare of, you know, now you have to retrain this animal or are you going to, you know, call it one thing when you're out on exhibit and then another name behind the scenes. But if you're doing training on exhibit, oh, this goes into some weird places, you know, for welfare stuff. And it's all like small stuff. I'll admit that it's not like, you know, this is going to ruin this panda's life or anything, but you hate to see it. And so I just think that um, zoos really need to understand that y'all are part of a global thing now. And, um, you know, some of your biggest fans are are very, very far away, maybe, but can have a huge impact. I mean, I mentioned, you know, Kofi, the tree kangaroo in Australia and, and Ren Howell and I have become good friends, uh, his kind of primary keeper since she was on the podcast. And I get like pictures, just, just me, not, not her public post. She, she takes pictures and just messages them to me and they're adorable. And I love him. I care about him so much. This is an animal that is half a world away that I have never met. That means the world to me. And so what happens with that animal matters to this guy in America. And I'm not the only one, you know, and I just think it's really important to understand that. No, I think it's so good to get your perspective on that. And like you are with those pandas in Australia, I am with Fiona the hippo at Cincinnati. I have been a hardcore fan of Fiona and the incredible, you know, I think that is such an amazing use of social media marketing that they've done with her and that incredible story. So, you know, I'm just someone on the other side of the world, but I love following that hippo and her journey. So you just have no idea of how that impacts anyone and how many people it's impacting to and what that, you know, the repercussions can look like if it's changed. I've fed Fiona. She's cool. <laughs> okay. And now see, this I'm is very jealous. <laughs> I was gonna say, well, this is this is the the fun part of it being such a global thing, though, in that you're now jealous that I've hung out with Fiona and yep. and stuff, and I'm jealous that Tess is over there feeding a Lumholtz tree kangaroo. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, no, it's it's great that you brought that up, and I think it's definitely something that people need to be more aware of. And hopefully, you know, this conversation, even if it you know just goes out to a few hundred people you know, that's a start. And I think it's, it's good to be more aware of that. It's definitely something that, that possibly I haven't thought about enough. I don't know about you, how you feel about that with that test. No, I definitely haven't. And that's an interesting perspective um, to think about. So I'm glad that you mentioned it, but as By always, the way, Oh no, no, hold on. I have to interrupt again. Sorry. I like keeping no, you're real right. conversational. <laughs> so um, while, while we're chatting about this, you know, you said a few hundred people, I hope you guys know how much y'all are popping off. Um, I see your podcast get mentioned a lot and I, I know that people are listening and to be as new as y'all are and to be reaching a few hundred people already is huge. I was not reaching a few hundred people when I was, how many episodes are you guys in now? I think you'll be episode 16. Yeah. No, 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 babies. no, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But I, I, I think your reach is awesome. I, I, I just wanted to compliment y'all. I mean, it's a great podcast and that that's partially why. Um, and you know, I, I, I think that whatever it is, but, um, yeah, to have, to have, you know, to be reaching that many people already, y'all should be really proud of yourselves. That's, that's really cool. Thank you. Thank that's you. so nice to hear. <laughs> that's a really nice uh, thing to say. We really appreciate it. I also love the way you say y'all, like my, <laughs> every my time you say it. Things every time you say it, it's just been a highlight. <laughs> it's so dorky because I'm not from the South at all. But um, I, you know, I mentioned I'm a drummer and I, I've been touring the show for eight years where I play a Southern character. And I, I've picked up on just saying y'all, but I don't even put a Southern accent on it. So it's just this weird little thing. I love that you caught me on that one. But no, uh... <laughs> it's, it's been a highlight for me. <laughs> But um, as always, we do have lots of questions from our listeners. So do you mind if we get straight into them? Let's do it. All right. Number one, in your opinion, what is the most underrated species? 
Ah, okay. So don't say red pandas. <laughs> no, they're very, they're they're very highly rated. No, people love them. Um, no, oh, I'm so torn. So, so um, I my initial thought was cuttlefish because cuttlefish are incredible and are really cool, and I could spend I all day looking at them. But also, now that we're talking tree kangaroos so much, I'm like, you know, people don't even really know what tree roos are. I think probably I have to go cuttlefish as the most underrated because I think like nobody knows what a cuttlefish is. And they are incredible. We just got some at Sea Life at work where I work, and they are the most adorable thing I've ever seen. They are yeah, so, so fun cool. to watch, and I agree. They're underrated. Wow, I need to Google what one looks like now. Yeah, you need to- but it just goes to show that they are underrated. But I'm glad that you mentioned Tree Roos too, because um, you mentioned just before that you saw my post about Tree Roos and just the fact that there's – Someone in America looking at a tree root is exciting for me because as an Australian, uh, five or six years ago, I was like, there's like a macropod that lives in trees. Like it's, <laughs> it's mind blowing. So uh, I'm glad that you gave them some credit because they deserve some credit. <laughs> so good. I got more excited to talk to you when I saw your post and I was already excited, but I was like, ah. Okay. Well, question number two, I feel like someone who wrote this in might know you well. Um, Because they said, what is your favorite thing about red pandas and okra bees? All right. So I'm going to I'm going to not answer the question right away, but tell you a quick story. But um, one of the best things about doing this podcast is that my fans are crazy. Uh, They are so dedicated and such an amazing group of humans and um you know even with with getting you know a couple thousand downloads a week now um so many of them are just such unique people and unique relationships and it's been so much fun developing that and and that includes uh this this woman colleen who who is obsessed with okapi and um i don't know how long y'all have been following along but for a long time on my social media i had a thing where i denied that okapis exist uh i very specifically said that they were amniotronic um, you know, it, it started from the standard thing. Okapis have zebra butts and giraffe um, tongues and, you know, kind of almost a horse body. And and they look like they were just put together by like, you know, a, a cartoon designer or something. And so it started off as that. And then I started what I called the faux copy movement, which was just me joking around saying these are not real animals. And anytime I would talk to a keeper who had no copy, I would ask when they have to charge it and what they do when it has technical difficulties and stuff. And then in my, um, I think it was the last episode of season three, I met and fed an copy. And the episode basically ends, like the interview ends with me going, oh, they are real. Um And Colleen's favorite animals are Okapi. So we would battle constantly and we would set up these, like not on purpose, but like I would post something and she would respond, you know, asking a question about an Okapi and I would say they're fake. And we would go back and forth and set up these, um, these conversations. And it was all just spontaneous, all just us having fun. But, um, it really raised a lot of awareness about Okapis and, um, Colleen works at the Akron Zoo in the gift shop and people would come to the gift shop and be like, you're Colleen, you're the, the, the Ross Safari character. And she's not a character. She's a human. But um, yeah. So so of course she reached out. Of course she did this. And um, to actually answer her question, my favorite thing about Okapi is a tie between their prehensile tongue and just the fact, like I said, that they looked like they were shoved together kind of inappropriately. And then um, for red pandas, it changes on the reg. But uh, I, I really love that internally like as far as their um digestive system is concerned they are carnivores but they mostly eat plants it's like they're just such little weirdos that way (laughs) it's so strange i don't know why that is but it it tickles me (laughs) good answer i like that now we do have one more question but from our listeners it is what is your favorite facility you've ever visited but before you answer that you haven't been to Queensland you haven't been to sea life or Lone Pine Koala Sanctuary so we'll bear that in mind <laughs> so, you know might not have uh, picked your favorite yet because you haven't been there but what is your favorite facility I mean I have to say it's the San Diego Zoo they're amazing on every level um I there was a period of time where I was playing in LA for uh uh two months that's uh that's Los Angeles for for those of you not in the country oh. I know you know I know 
I know. I'm kidding. Sure. <laughs> um, no, but kidding, I was. Y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was in I was in LA for um for two months, and basically almost every day. Uh, I left LA, drove two hours each way to go to San Diego or to Escondido where the safari park is. It never got boring. It never got tiring. It never, that place like is, it's Disneyland for, for animals. It's, it's astonishing how much they cram into the zoo and the amazing work that they do and how open they are about everything and how transparent they are. I remember the first time that the San Diego Zoo said they'd be on my podcast. I felt like I had like won the lottery or something, but as I've gotten to know the team there, I'm like, Oh no, wait, they actually want to be transparent and do like that, that they are what they're the gold standard. They're amazing. Um, I have some others that I really love, but I will say you're right that I haven't made it to Australia yet. And I really want to, I have this, this fantasy about uh, going down to um, the tree Roo rescue in Australia and volunteering for a month. Um, cause they let you come, but you have to stay for a month and, and doing tree uh, husbandry for a month and then leaving there and heading and hitting up like as many facilities in the country as I can before I fly back, whether that will happen because, you know, money, um, I don't know, but like if I magically won the lottery that I don't play tomorrow, that would literally be the first thing I would do. I would literally, there's nothing I want more than to not just do the tree root thing, but also come visit all y'all's facilities and just have a great time. And yes, I specifically threw in the all y'all just for you. <laughs> well, we would absolutely love to have you in Australia. And I think it's about time that the Rossafari podcast went on tour. We can maybe tee up a little trainer talks and Rossafari podcast on touring. <laughs> yes, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Well, San Diego is absolutely on my bucket list. And I'm embarrassed to say that I have been to LA and I did not go to the zoo, which is awful what are you doing i know i went with the family and we we did disneyland in vegas but <laughs> managed to miss san diego um so it's definitely on my bucket list to go back because i've heard amazing things about it all right well i don't know about you tess but i feel like that was an amazing conversation john we are so yes. incredibly grateful that you spent the time and woke up really early to come and chat with us so been- early how do you guys do this <laughs> well it's so late for us yeah. y'all so <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah, so (laughs) thank you so much again. It's been so much fun having a chat with you and I feel like everyone is going to really enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. Yeah, you've been so great to talk to. Thank you so much. That was such an insightful conversation, Tess. I feel like I have learned a lot and really got me thinking a lot about which direction the zoos are going to go into and, you know, things that we want to see in the future too. Yeah, definitely. And once again, I'm just so impressed that he's not even a keeper or a trainer. He just has this passion from an outsider's experience. And that's incredible. I love that we've nurtured that and he's nurtured that with this podcast. So good to see. I feel like we should do a bit of a recommendation to go and listen to his podcast too. So just Spotify the Rossifari podcast because it is great. And he has so many amazing conversations on that. Yes, true, true, true. (laughs) Well, um, great episode as always. And we have another one for you next week. Thanks so much, guys. See you then. Bye.